Hey, it's old timey crimey. We are still on vacation or hiatus if you want to be all professional about it. But because I know you just can't live without us, we're giving you a little something to get you through until we come back next week. This is an old tiny crimey that I told Amber back in August and that our patrons got to hear all the way back then. And I picked it because it's one of my all-time favorite stories. My cat is, uh, is kicking some paper around, if you, if you heard that. So, one of my favorite stories, one of my favorite characters from history that almost nobody seems to know about. And so I thought it would be fun to share this with you guys. And if you enjoy this, then over at patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey, there is so much more where that came from. So enjoy. Happy New Year. And thanks for spending some time with us in 2021. We can't wait to spend more time with you in 2022. Okay, so this story that I'm about to tell you and our patrons, when I first stumbled upon this, I was like, oh my god, why is Amber going on vacation when I need to tell her the story of this little girl? Oh, this should be good. So, this is the story of Mary Avery. She had a nickname. I'm not going to tell you what yet. We're going to let that come up organically. Okay, so she has to earn her nickname first. Yes, okay. yes. This is a quote about hoodlums from the Barbary Coast by Herbert Asbury. The memberships of many of the early hoodlum gangs included girls, and several were captained by maladjusted representatives of the so-called gentler sex. These girls were almost more ferocious than their male companions. But yeah. Yeah. And their fertile minds devised most of the unpleasant methods of torture with which the hoodlums employed upon their victims. Oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> yeah. So, at the age of 12 or 13 years old, little Mary was at the head of a San Francisco gang. That's awesome. And some of the boys in the gang were as old as 16. And she's still telling them what to do and where to go. That's awesome. Yes. So petty thievery is her game. But when she's arrested in March 1877, it's not really clear in the papers whether it's for theft or for kind of like vagrancy. As one paper says she was found sleeping in a hayloft over a blacksmith shop. And another one says that she and her companions were having a seance, but that maybe that they meant party. I don't know. <laughs> they could have been trying to raise the dead, though. You never know. You never know with these hoodlums. But like, I think us at 12 and 13 were probably having seances. Absolutely. Yes, we absolutely were. We were totally into witchcraft at that age. Yes. It was a thing. That was the whole thing. <laughs> yes, witchcraft and supernatural stuff. So Mary was taken to the San Francisco City Jail with her gang. It was about half and half, male and female, and they put on a show for the reporters. When they were brought into the prison, they cried and grieved in such a manner that it was scarcely possible to believe that they were not the embodiment of that innocence which is attributed to childhood, and the reporters present looked upon them as greatly persecuted beings. So they cried, and they were like, oh, no, we were just good kids. We weren't doing anything wrong. 
And then. So they separate the boys and girls in adjoining cells. Yeah, they did that. They did that in juvie, too. That's like a thing. It's like a thing. Yeah. Well, another thing. Can't have any sex going on. Another thing is that Mary had a, a petticoat. And she used it to smuggle in cigarettes and a knife. Mary's my kind of girl. Mary is. So the cigarettes were discovered by her jailers when she and the other girls arrested with her started smoking them right in the cell. So they were like, well, uh, we're going to take those now. You're not supposed to be doing that here. Then the girls were all dancing and singing in their cell and raising a ruckus. And when asked to keep quiet, she whipped out her knife. Well, that wasn't very smart. So then you they got to wait till they open the door for that. Yes, that's right. They searched her, and that's when they really figured out the petticoat. And we have a description of it. She wore a petticoat of double thickness, and on the right and left sides, in the natural position for pockets, two slits had been made, thus converting the entire garment into one immense pocket. That is awesome. This was her shoplifting petticoat. (laughs) I would wear a petticoat. Well, when I was 13, I would have worn a petticoat had I been able to do that. Instead, I had Jinko jeans. Yes, yes. Those were the modern shoplifting petticoat. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Those giant pockets. But uh, after that, she took his shine to one of the boys in the cell next door. And so she was making a lewd offer to him, or maybe to all of them. It seemed kind of her way. Look at all these glory holes, guys. (laughs) Then she got tossed into solitary, but they called it the dark cell. Yes. And the guards said that she was one of the worst cases of juvenile depravity they'd ever witnessed. She's a tough one, our Mary. So she goes before the court, along with her whole cadre of hoodlums. Her mother tried to beg the judge for leniency, and the papers described Mary as the smallest, prettiest, and most abandoned of the trio of girls who had been arrested above the blacksmith shop. But while the judge is dealing with the rest of the gang, Mary's having a grand old time. She enjoyed the performance hugely and maintained a ripple of laughter throughout. So her her mother was there, despite the fact that they said she was the most abandoned. The newspapers called her mother corpulent and careless looking. And we express no surprise at this. Careless looking. Yeah, just careless looking. Maybe she was a little slovenly in her appearance or wasn't perfectly buttoned up. Who knows? And also her mother was laughing the whole time at her daughter's cuteness. Like, oh, Oh, look at my daughter. She's so cute. God. In court. The judge remarked of the girls' mothers in general that he'd seen them just as frequently as he'd seen the girls. <laughs> These are people who spend a lot of time in and out of jail and court. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Right. So there's a moment when another girl in the gang has her mother insisting to the judge that her daughter had never been out past 10 p.m. And Mary goes... Oh, can't your ma lie? Why, you've been out more times than ever so much. Wow, Mary just throwing her friend under the bus there. Right? Exactly. She could have gotten off, but no, nope. Everyone's going down with the ship. Exactly. Mary's taking everybody who went down with her. That girl got tossed to Juvie, which we'll get to their version of Juvie. And, quote, vicious little Mary Avery clapped her hands and crowed with glee. <laughs> But the judge did put Mary away until the following fall. 
and she was either sent to the industrial school or to a sort of like girls' asylum. It's unclear which, but when they were about to be marched downstairs, she manifested some tenderness by bidding adieu to her not deeply affected mother in a touching manner. Some weird family dynamics going on here. Yeah. See ya, Ma. So she's out in November 1877, and it's time for another heist or two. This is where we see Mary's talents really shine. So first, the gang breaks into Fiegenbaum and Company's Wholesale Fancy Goods house. Oh. Wholesale <laughs> Fancy Goods, you say? That, that sign will cost you an arm, a leg, and a fancy good. <laughs> I'm telling you what. They steal numerous fancy toys and several valuable music boxes. It's kind of a cute little heist, you know? That That is kind of an adorable heist. It's adorable. And they're quite the Ocean's Eleven in how they go about this. They climbed up onto the roof of a bootblack's shop, and they used that to access a second-story window on Fiegenbaum's. So Mary and a boy in the gang went in the window. The rest of them stayed outside, and Mary and her companion on the inside used the elevator to transport the goods up to the third floor window, where the gang members would then retrieve them. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Two days later, Mary's gang busts into a store via prying open the cellar door. A little less Ocean's Eleven on that one. Yeah. And on Market Street, they stole a bunch of stuff, but the real headline there is it's not toys, it's not music boxes. They stole 127 revolvers, powder, and ammo. Nice. <laughs> That's for their next heist, which is going to be even bigger, I assume. They're getting ready for war here. So the San Francisco Chronicle said of Mary then, she is but 14 years of age and a hard case. She is known among her youthful but depraved companions as... Little Dick. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so all together in the two heists, they got $1,000 in property, which is $26,000 today. Nice. Well done, Little Dick. Right? Little Dick is really doing well for herself. So when I don't know, though. I feel like the nickname's all wrong. I mean, she's obviously got the biggest one of the bunch. Exactly. But the reason comes up, but it doesn't come up until we reach kind of like the end of her story, at least as far as history is concerned. Okay. So there is a reason for it, and it, it all clicked into place for me when I read it. Okay. So when they're first apprehended, there's no charges filed yet because the police had not found the stolen property. But then they started searching the gang members' houses, and they found music boxes, toys, and guns hidden in each of them. Many oh. guns. Well, yes, lots of guns. Yeah, for her part, Mary had ten pistols, some toys, a lamp, and some ammunition. So she and her gang are all committed to the industrial school. Now, let's talk about the industrial school. It was established in 1859, took boys and girls as young as two. Wow. Two. I'm just appalled. I can't. I can't. And it gets worse. So of the 65 children that were first committed to the school in its establishing year, 12 out of 65 had actually been accused of crimes. The rest were sent there for, quote, leading an idle and dissolute life. That idle two-year-old. Right? Exactly. He's not making any money and he's dissolute to boot. And really, it just became a workhouse for children and sustained itself with revenue from the children's labor. Yeah, makes so, sense. They would work for eight or more hours per day. They would attend school for four hours, but it really wasn't a well-equipped schoolroom. Shocking. Yeah, the teacher had a desk made of a strip of plywood propped up on barrels. 
So all that money was not going into the education of these children. And to prevent escapes, the children were banned from wearing shoes and socks unless they were ill. So they had to be barefoot mm-hmm. while doing manual labor. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. How many of those children still had toes? Probably Just... not very many of them. Yeah. <laughs> there was also flogging and even a suicide by a child a few days after a beating. There was solitary and just outright torture. I mean, it was, it was a very corrupt situation, too, because for the first several years, it was privately owned. So all that money's going into somebody's pocket. There were some attempts at reform in the years prior to Mary landing there. And actually, both the foster care and the probation system in California started due to the extreme corruption and brutality of the industrial school. It still would have sucked. Yeah. Still would have been awful there. It does seem that at the time Mary was sentenced, committal to the industrial school would actually mean she ended up in the Magdalene Asylum instead, which, as you might guess was started as a Catholic group-sponsored shelter for former sex workers. And in 1872, the city took over the industrial school because of, again, the corruption and the brutality, and they started kind of shuttling the girls to the asylum. So that they could learn how to be sex workers. Apparently. Well, (laughs) according to Gary Camilla, the new arrivals were so rebellious that the sisters had to house them in separate quarters, fearing they would corrupt the Magdalens. Wow. These little girls were going to corrupt the prostitutes, Amber. <laughs> so, I'm impressed. She got out of the Magdalene Asylum in August of the following year and once again was arrested and tried for leading an idle and dissolute life. Then in May 1879, she and a friend were arrested and charged with drunkenness. So this from the newspaper. The young prisoners were seen by the arresting officers on the roof of a house on Jesse Street with a number of small boys screaming and swearing at the top of their voices. The boys escaped on the approach of the officers, but the girls were caught and taken to the city prison where they were locked in the dark cells. So, probably solitary again. Why straight there? Why did they send them straight to the dark cells? Because of the round oaths which fell in a continuous stream from their lips, which were shocking in the extreme. They probably said, damn. Maybe even darn. (laughs) I have a feeling Mary said a lot more than that. She probably did. And this is where we learn that Mary has another alias with her cohort. And that's probably where Little Dick came from. She is called Dick Turpin. He was an English highwayman in the 1700s and led the Essex gang until he was hanged. Apparently, her pals were fans of old-timey crime. (laughs) That is wonderful. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? So this is, however, where she pretty much disappears from the entire historical record. Uh, She was drunk and in solitary for using filthy words. Girl after our own heart. Yeah. I looked everywhere, everywhere. But this story ended up being a little smaller than I intended. And the research kind of ended up being circular, like each resource, new resources I found kept pointing to other ones. And do you know how fun it is to... uh, Search Google for Little Dick. Yes, I do. <laughs> of course you do. That's how I spend my Saturday night. <laughs> Micro penises. <laughs> so I looked everywhere. Couldn't find anything else on her. But in my search for more material on Mary Avery, Little Dick, I did find another Little Dick in San Francisco in 1883 at the Baldwin Theater. 
The new program there featured among its stars Bob Mack, who performed barnyard frolics with his educated bantam rooster, Little Dick. The only living trained fowl in the world, and the only featured artist before the public. The attempt of the New York Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals to prohibit the appearance of Little Dick because he was introduced after bedtime proved a failure. Old-timey times are weird. That is glorious. (laughs) And so I hope you enjoyed the story of Little Dick. Little Dick. Little Dick and her old-timey crime fan friends. So, bye! Bye! My sources are Bob Calhoun in SF Weekly, Gary Camilla on the San Francisco Chronicle, and from newspapers.com, thank you, Chris Garcia, the San Francisco Chronicle, the San Francisco Examiner, and from the California Digital Newspaper Collection, the LA Herald. <laughs>